Well, good morning. Good to see you all. We are going to have a wonderful time in God's Word, but I got a couple quick announcements for you. One of them is the cafe is open. Did you all see the cafe open? Yeah. What on? Now, there's a couple things you need to know about the cafe. One of them is that uh, there are three, uh, actually four primary people that were involved in getting that off the ground. That was kind of a, a dream idea of Angie Brown, and she really carried it from beginning all the way through. A gentleman by the name of Carlos put in his time and his expertise physically building stuff in there, personally buying stuff to try to make sure that thing is up and running. Roger from The Good Sip, that coffee truck that we normally have, he lent his expertise in making sure that it was to be run smooth. And then Lena, who runs our events, she has been seeing it to completion. Can we just thank that team? And so basically how it works, maybe you've already stopped by there and seen it, but the way that it works is that what we wanted to do as a church was keep drip coffee free to you. Um, and so we, we buy all those things. And so if you wanted to go up to the cafe and just get coffee, right, which maybe that's just the adult drink, right, the coffee drink, uh, and you just have regular coffee, that's free to you. But if you need a foo-foo drink, that's on you. That's on you, uh, because here's the deal. Uh, we believe that on one hand, it is our responsibility to provide Christian crack for every believer, for every believer that is here, because we all know that we cannot focus on the Lord without caffeine. So, so that is good, but we don't want to go over the top with the foo-foo drinks. We don't need to support you in that. You've got to go buy that yourself. Uh, so make sure to go out there. I also heard that they're doing uh, smoothie tasting. So if you are a smoothie connoisseur, you got to let us know the good ones that we want to keep and the ones that you go, wow, that's gross. No one serves that. So anyway, just let us know on that. And then another real fast announcement. If you know anybody that has a heart for the ministry and is excellent in the area of corporate IT, uh, we have a full-time position open here that we're trying to get filled uh, with the right person. There's some nuances that we need about that. Uh, we have had some wonderful candidates who have extraordinary gifts and talents, but it hasn't been quite the right fit. So if you are somebody that can run uh, at a higher level of organization and design of IT, we would love to talk to you about that stuff. So make sure to contact Heidi Coffrin on the city, or you can just email her or contact the front office. Now, last announcement. Um, you heard me say, I want you to go to Uganda with me. Do y'all hear that? Y'all hear that? Cause you, you gotta go to Africa at some point, right? If you're a Christian and you want to do missionary work, it's always Africa, right? So you have to go to Africa at some point. I think you should go with me personally, but let's say that Africa, you go, you know what? I am going to go but is there also something closer? Yes, there is. I want you to go to a Kings game with me. Okay, now that was a weird segue. Did you see that? I just kind of jumped right over there. Uh, I want you to go to a Kings game, and you're going to say, what does that have to do with missionary work? Well, both are difficult um, because the Kings keep losing. So, so here's what I'm inviting you to do. I'm inviting you to come to a game with me and watch the Kings lose to the Milwaukee Bucks. 
All right, now, this, it's, this is important. This is important. Why would you go to a game when they've had so much transition and everything? There's two reasons why you need to go. Number one, and this actually literally is the most important reason, and that is because it is hoops to hope. It is the night of faith. In other words, that one of the, they're one of the few NBA teams that still has a, a game that has tickets and allowance for... Uh, 501c3s and Christian institutions and faith-based organizations to talk about their things that are going on. I, I want to encourage that. I want it to feed into our community that way. That is the main reason why we're partnering with them. This is all headed up by E49, a collective, Christian collective in downtown Sacramento. And Tammy Vallejo and her team, they're very, very passionate about outreach. So all proceeds that go to E49, whatever portions the kings don't keep, actually goes to homelessness and to sex trafficking ministries. So when you buy these tickets, and I'm going to tell you the price of the ticket in a second, when you buy these tickets, you are supporting some very, very critical ministries. So obviously the main reason why you would go is to support the ministry. The second reason to go is because it's absolutely fun. It is a blast. You got, I don't know if you went last time, but this time we got all low-level tickets, right? Because last time we had tickets all over the place. We have one section that will just be us, one area of section, which we only had 55 tickets that they allowed us to purchase. The lower-level tickets are more expensive. Even though we're getting them less expensive than they normally are, they're still 77 bucks a seat. Which you kind of go, wow, that's, that's an awful lot. What's so weird is last time, all the low levels sold first. So we said, why are we buying the higher level tickets when the lower level tickets sold faster than the other ones? So here's why you want to go. When you go to a game, you want to be able to see the game. You can see the game from here. And it's all the other festivities going on. The game and seeing the sportsmanship is excellent, but they also have so much entertainment going on. Maybe, maybe you're aware of last year when I, when I was out on the court doing a three-point shooting competition. Do you remember this? Yeah, I beat another pastor. Do you remember that? Yeah, and I want to watch. You remember that? Yeah, yeah. And I kept it. And, and I forgot to wear it today, which is a drag. But anyway... Um, but you don't remember it because one of the other pastors made the half-court shot and won a car. Do you remember that? Yeah, and made my watch seem like... <laughs> so that pastor did not keep the car, ended up having a, you know, a raffle for that car and raised even more money for all the ministries at E49. And once again, it turned into this absolutely fantastic ministry opportunity. And there was all the fun that we had that night because... What I think is true, and I, I mean, this don't quote me, it's not, a, it's not in scripture, but I believe that it's biblical to talk trash at a basketball game. I don't, I, don't, I don't know where that is in the Bible, but I'm just saying it makes it more fun. So if you want to come to the game and just yell with me and, and just yell and scream at people, please come do that. So it is March 22nd. March 22nd, you got to mark that on your calendar. It's coming really, really, really fast. Some of you know that it is March right now. March 22nd, it's a Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. 
The, we have a table in the lobby. You can go pick up your tickets there. Uh, some tickets were purchased last night, so we have less tickets today. So make sure that you go and get a chance to get a hold of that. And it's a wonderful support of a beautiful ministry called E49. All right, all good? All right, let's take out our Bibles. Let's get into God's Word. We are in part seven of our Purposeful Christianity series through the book of Colossians, and we're going to be in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. I entitled today's message, Caring Enough to Hurt, and I want to begin with these thoughts. It's going to lead you to the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. I want to begin with these thoughts. I believe that there is a subtle yet destructive lie that has entered into Christianity over the last couple thousand years. And I, I would venture to say it's probably more a lie that has not so much entered into Christianity as entered into Christian subculture. And that lie is emotionless Christianity. The lie of emotionless Christianity. A cold, calculated, distant Christianity. That is not the Christianity of the Bible. And, and here's what I mean, is that for so many of us, we get into these mindsets and we start thinking about things in a logical, rational fashion, and we end up in really, really weird places that the Bible never intended. For example, we would say things like this. Well, you know, the Bible says that there's no changing in God, that, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And, and if he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then there's no shadow of turning with him. And if that is the case, then he is fully loving, fully joyful, fully uh, whatever, powerful, all those things. He is always all that. And if you're always all that, there is no change in it. Therefore, there's no emotion because emotion says that you feel this more than this. And so God doesn't have feelings. What in the world? How do we get over there? Here's the other thing that causes damage is that for some of us, we have this whole attitude of God has to love me, but he doesn't like me. We get into this attitude where we say, I don't like you, but I have to love you in the Lord. Do you understand what's happening here? We're pulling out the very guts of all that Christianity is about. The Bible says that God so loved the world. The love that God has is defined in Greek as agape. Agape means a God kind of love. And it says that he loved us so intensely that Jesus was willing to die for us. That's emotional. How have we slowly shifted over to a very cold and distant and simply rational religion. I would suggest to you that a lot of it has to do with a transference from an Eastern world mindset to a Western world mindset. And here's what I mean. The book that you are holding in your hand is an Eastern book. It's not a Western book. You go, what do you mean Eastern? Well, let's start thinking about the world view. If you, if you took our planet, when we talk about the East, we're talking about, let, let's just start over at the cradle of civilization. Let's start in the areas of upper Africa and the Middle East. In the Middle East, that in India, if you go over there, we're now in an Eastern 
world that actually had a very, very different viewpoint. It was influenced by different things. When you start talking about the Europe and Greek thought and Roman thought and throughout history where you had what the America kind of came out of, when you start thinking about the Enlightenment, when you start thinking about this modern viewpoint, this is all Western mindset. And they are very, very different. And the challenge is that we are completely baked in a Western mindset trying to read an Eastern book. And so what we're doing is we're taking our bias and pushing it into a book where it never was supposed to be. We are forcing the Bible to answer questions it was not written to answer. And you say, well, okay, so give me a little idea on what the difference is between the two. All right, I got this for you. Here we go. Western mindset analyzes life in precise categories. Eastern mindset, everything blurs into everything else. In Western mindset, there's a very clear split between the natural and the supernatural. The Eastern mindset believes that supernatural affects everything. In the Western mindset, it's rugged individualism. In the Eastern mindset, there is the power of the collective and community. In the Western mindset, it tends to historically be man-centered. In the East side, it tends to be God-centered. On the West side, there is linear time, beginning, middle, end, and it's divided into neat segments. Each event is considered new. The Eastern mindset, time is viewed as cyclical or spiraling, where similar events reoccur over and over. And you go, wow, that's, that's kind of a trip. I don't know if I, if I knew that. Western mindset, history is told with objective chronological fact. Eastern history is told focusing on significant, meaningful, and memorable truths regardless of detail. Okay, now, do you understand why there would be a bit of a gap there? Because what we end up doing is we'll grab the Bible and we'll go to Genesis 1-1 and we'll say, how did God make the world? That was not written to answer those questions. As a matter of fact, it's written from an Eastern mindset. And the whole point was, let me tell you a beautiful poem that expresses the glory of God creating the heavens and the earth. But from a Western mindset, you keep trying to analyze it and pull it apart and pull it apart and pull it apart and saying, answer my questions. And it says, I never wrote that for you to get those questions. I wrote for you to get a sense and a feeling of that which is grandiose and beautiful. All right. So if we're doing that, what I I think is so important for us to do is if you're going to read the Bible rightly, there's process. And the process means you're trying to get back to the authorial intent. What did the author mean to say? That's what we're all chasing after. But if you look at it through Western lenses, you're going to miss he has an Eastern mindset. You go, well, Lance, hold on, hold on. Yeah, you're right. The Old Testament, totally Eastern. I get that. But, but isn't it true that Christianity really exploded in the Western world. I mean, when Paul entered into Europe and it started going ballistic, that was really in a Western world. I would agree with you. However, the Bible was written down and nailed down very early, and it came from an Eastern Messiah. 
talking to a bunch of Eastern men, communicating to a Western world. It's still an Eastern book. Why does this matter to us? Because when you look at it through Eastern eyes, you see something very different. For example, I've shared with you over and over and over, the most common descriptive adjective used of Jesus is compassionate. Compassionate. That is not a very Western logical word. Why? Because it means moves in the very deepest place of your bowels. It means Jesus felt stuff all the time. That Jesus was very emotional. And what we tend to do is we keep thinking, well, Jesus did this, and then he was driven, and then he did this, and it was very cold and removed. It was not. Jesus was all in. He wept with people who wept. And you go, but he knew better. Okay. And he still cried. Jesus feels intensely the Hebrew God that we serve feels intensely. That, that means I need to remind you that actually the Bible teaches that God likes you. He's not forced to do it. Jesus was not resistant to go to the cross once he realized it was the protection of his children. That Jesus, and and you can look at a bunch of different stories. One always pops into my mind to talk about the reactions of Jesus and how emotional he was, is that he was going down the road and on a different road coming in was a funeral procession. And on that funeral procession was a dead young man. His mom was weeping and wailing that her son was dead. The Bible says Jesus stopped the funeral procession and raised the son back to life. And the only indicator the Bible gives you is he was moved with compassion. You go, oh, that was a messianic, blah, blah. No, he did a bunch of those. This is not one of those. As a matter of fact, they didn't ask him to raise the child from the dead. He decided to do it because of the scenario. What I'm trying to express to you is that God feels, and he feels intensely. He has joy in you. He loves you. He likes you. You. He is so pure and holy up there that all of our little drama doesn't rock his world. He's still able to be the healthy, whole parent that can look down at the little child who is going ballistic and still have joy and love for them. That is the God that we serve. So, what's the bottom line? It's a fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. Remember, I told you agape is God kind of love? And it's the love that God expects us to have for one another. You ready? Here's the fill in the blanks. Agape isn't present. It's not there. Agape isn't present when feelings are totally absent. Agape isn't present when feelings are totally absent. You may have something good without feelings. You may have hardcore commitment to an idea or a system. You may have loyalty, and that is good. But don't call it agape. 
Because if your feelings are completely pulled out of you, you're not representing a God kind of love. That's not happening. Because God has emotions. And he built us with emotions. Now, as uh, we're, we're going to kind of talk about this and dive into it a little bit, but I want to be clear on a, on a couple things. And I am not here to bring condemnation on those of us that struggle with feeling things. I'm going to get into it a little bit more in the message, but I want to be very clear up front. I'm not here to bring condemnation. I'm here to bring clarity. And I will try to bring encouragement. And I will try to bring challenge. But you will not receive condemnation from me. So having said all of that, let's dive right into God's word and see what he has for us. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1. I'm just going to read these first five verses here. Because it gets a little bit complicated when you read it. So we'll break it apart line by line, and then it'll make sense. Here we go. Paul says to the church in Colossae, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Let's bounce back to the first verse and let's dive in. He said, I want you to know... How great a struggle I have for you guys. And we talked about this last time we were together. I talked about Paul's suffering for the Gentiles. While he's writing this letter, he is in prison. That's persecution. I talked about him having a PhD in persecution. You remember that? Talking about the beatings and the shipwrecks and the danger and the hardship and all this crazy stuff he was willing to go through. So here he is. He's being tore up. And he said, man, I want you all to know I'm struggling for you. And he's not saying it because he wants their sympathy. He's not saying it because he wants to be a big deal and he has to have them all go, wow, Paul, you're better than me. He said, I want you to know my struggle so you can understand how important this is. I wouldn't be suffering to this degree if it was not so important. And who is he struggling for? He said, I'm struggling for you guys, Colossians, for, and the, for the towns around you, your whole valley, the whole Lycus Valley. Colossae, Laodicea, and Hierapolis. These three cities were all within 10, 15 miles of each other. He said, yeah, you guys. And he's like, and I'm struggling for people I've never even met. I didn't plant you guys as the church, he said. My buddy Epaphras did. But he, all he does is talk about you. So all of a sudden you're in my heart and I love you. Now I'm concerned about you. I'm constantly praying for you. I carry you everywhere I go. But man... I'm really struggling through this stuff. What, what are the struggles of ministry? Oh man, having to have the patience, having to be hurt and heal, having to keep walking through it. I mean, it's, it, ministry, I told you, it's hard. And I got to tell you, the fact that I'm still in ministry after all these years trips me out. Why? Well, there's a couple basic reasons why. 
Number one, I'm a people pleaser. Being a people pleaser in a public setting is maddening because I'm consistently disappointing people 24 hours a day. That doesn't work well with my personality. I would rather you all just have some amazing view of me where you go, I think Lance is awesome no matter what he does. That's what I dream about. That's not realistic. But when I become king, no. <laughs> Here's, here's, here's the, the, second, the second reason. I'm kind of wimpy. And, and what I mean by that is, that is that when things come in and hurt me, when things come in and crush me, I don't want to keep doing that. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I just want to give up and walk away and go stack boxes at Target because they don't hurt me. You know what I'm saying? I don't have to argue with them all the time. There's so much where there's just challenge and then hurt and sorrow and pain and and I have to watch people leave and come it's just it's just so messes me up so why am I still in ministry well I can tell you honestly I'm in ministry because of how important you are and I I don't mean this just to kind of blow smoke what I'm trying to say is you are the reason why I'm built the way I'm built you're actually makes sense for me. So I have all this love to give. Who am I going to give it to? I have all this passion to try to reveal Jesus. Who am I going to talk to? I have all this desire to connect. I still have a craving. I have a love-hate relationship with people, right? I need you desperately, but you're kind of mean to me sometimes, <laughs> right? So I'm kind of that dog who's like, can I, can, I, uh, can I get on your lap? No, whoa, okay, cool. We're not doing that right now. You know, that kind of thing. But, but you're worth it, and, and, and why are you worth it? Well, there's two reasons. One of them is because my greatest hero is Jesus, and he thinks that you are his greatest creation. So you're, you're what he just thinks about all the time. So you, my greatest hero, loves you more than life itself. The second reason is that I was, I was born, uh, and I just love people. So I am one of those that I look at you and all I see is what God's building in you. I, I see people for potential. And so I'm always excited to look in your eyes and know what you are becoming. And so I am optimistic for that reason. And so the reason I'm still in ministry is God designed me for it and because you're here, right? Okay, well, Paul's the same way. And probably even more so that Paul's saying, man, I go through all this struggle and I'm not trying to get your your sympathy. I'm simply saying, I need you to know how valuable you are. I need you to know that you are worth going through all kinds of challenges. You're that wonderful. Because in my mind, what more important thing is there to work for? You may have a totally different design in your heart and, and I think that God does design us all very different, but here's how I view it. What I get to do for a living is eternal, no matter what. So you are eternal beings, meaning that you don't just matter for this life, you matter for all life. So whatever I'm investing in you has eternal implications. My job is highly significant in my world because I can invest in someone that matters. Does that make sense? 
So as we kind of go through this, I need you to realize that every single one of us are ministers, whether you have a title or not. If you're a Christian, you're a minister. Therefore, I would hope that maybe you could catch some of my passion for people and catch some of my passion for the Lord to go, you know what? I feel the same way, Lance, and they are worth it. Now, don't get me wrong. I still have seasons where I get hurt and I just hide and I run away. I'm not trying to tell you that, oh, I know how to get it all handled. I simply don't. I'm not even in a great, uh, uh, you know, scenario of life right now. Hurt has still caused me to run away, right? So there's times and stuff like that. I want to be honest with you. But what I am going to say is I'm still here. I'm still up here. And I keep coming and coming over and over and over. Why? Because you are the reason why I'm here. It's awesome. But notice that Paul even says, man, my heart is not just for my buddies. Because I do, I look out at you and the vast majority of you, we have had conversations or I know something about your lives. It's one thing to love your buddies. It's one thing to love the people that you know real well that you're invested in. It's quite another thing to love people you've never even met before. Paul said, man, my heart is that way about the entire church because if any part of our church suffers, we suffer. And I don't know if I necessarily have matured to that place yet because he's carrying the entire church of jesus christ around on his shoulders so let me ask you this there are there are parts of jesus's church today in oppressive countries dying for the faith and we don't seem to be very moved by that and i think that there's good and bad reasons i I think that one understandable reason why we can't is because of compassion fatigue Y'all know what I'm talking about, what compassion fatigue is? Here's what it means. Try turning on the news. When you turn on the news, you will get obliterated by bad news. It will be one horrific event after the other. So let's say you cry at the first story. Then you get another story that's actually worse than the first story. Then you cry about that. Then you have another story that's following right after it, and then another one that's after that, and another one that's after that. Not only that, but now we have global news, so I not only know what is horrifically happening in my neighborhood, I know what's happening in my nation, and I know what's happening in my world, and try going online. You see, online, now you're connected to all that stuff, and at any moment, you can have something that will shatter your soul. So what are you supposed to do about it? Because here's the deal. You're going to have to have defense mechanisms or coping mechanisms that are going to have to slide in there and help you filter. Unfortunately, those coping mechanisms for a lot of us become walls. And then we can't feel anything. We can't care about anybody because we just shut down. That's realistic. So I don't have a solution for you, but I do have a question for you. Is it okay to completely shut down? And then if, you, if it's not, what do we do? How do we deal with that? The only answer I have come up with so far is the idea that we must trust the Lord to say, although you care, I cannot have you carry that burden. I have to direct you to what burden I need you to carry because you're going to make a difference there. We have to sift and sort where we spend our time, but we can't wall off our heart from everyone. Y'all know what I'm saying? Paul had certain things that he cared more about and less about, but his heart was open 
And I think that's what I'm getting to. Let's keep moving forward. He said, here's what I'm struggling for. Here's what I'm working for. That the whole church, that their hearts may be encouraged. That word means minds, and we'll talk about that in a moment instead of hearts, but that their hearts may be encouraged. The word encouragement is kind of cool. It means equipping someone with everything they need to keep going forward victoriously. So whatever that is, that's encouragement. Get them that. He said that they may be encouraged that they are being knit together in love. That there's actual real camaraderie, that there's actually real brotherhood, that there's actually unity. So that they would reach all the riches, the blessings, the perks, the rewards of full assurance in God. Do you have full assurance in God? Because if you keep wondering whether God likes you or doesn't like you, depending on the day, it's going to mess up your Christianity. Because you're going to start treating people like that. You like them one day, you don't like them another day. If you believe that God's grace is not only sufficient, it's continual, you will then be able to extend grace to other people. Your view of God dramatically changes how you act. So do you have the full assurance that you are loved and liked by your heavenly father? And if not, that has to be a core issue settled in your soul. He said, I want you to have the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Man, I need you to use your brains and lock in and get it and understand Jesus is all that you need. Because in him, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Okay, let me, let me talk about this for a moment. In the ancient world... And I've shared this with you before. In the ancient world, emotions were in the stomach. They were in the bowels. They were not in the heart. As a matter of fact, I'm not quite sure where that changed. I would have to go back and look in history about where that changed, where our little aortic squishy guy suddenly became romantic. Oh, it pumps blood. Clearly, it means you love me. What? Where did that come from? Because the other way makes more sense. When they say hearts, they're actually talking about your mind. They're talking about the control center of your life. Why do they put emotions down here? Well, it's very easy. When you meet someone and you first fall in love, you, f- you get butterflies in your stomach, right? I mean, you don't go, I have butterflies in my heart. If you have that, you need to go see the doc, <laughs> right? You might need a little pacemaker in there. When you get nervous, you feel a pit in your stomach. Okay, so all the emotion stuff tends to happen down here. It makes more sense. Um, Of course, as I've shared before, it makes Hallmark way different, Uh, right? (laughs) You know, all the beautiful bowel things that you share on Valentine's Day. And and my bowels are full for you. Stuff like, it's just, (laughs) not good. Anyway. So maybe that's why it changed. Maybe Hallmark changed our whole world. You know what I'm saying? But but the premise that's important is that emotions are secondary to thought. You have to have the thought first for your emotion to kick in. So the way to get to your emotions to adjust them is through your mind. It's through new things. So, for example, if I was to make you feel scared, I would have to do something that triggers your mind to be scared. Right? The reason why that's important for us is that some of us really, really struggle in the areas of emotions, and I want to talk about that. There are some of us who, by sheer personality, 
do not lean into emotionalism. Uh, you are the more intellectual, the more academic, you're the more reasoning and logic, and emotion is elusive. And there, that, there's nothing wrong with that. It's how God made you. As a matter of fact, there's beautiful things about that. When everyone else is going ballistic and crazy, you're the even-keeled one. You're the one that can actually keep your head in the game. So I don't want any judgment on you, but I do know that you do need to work to build up the areas that your personality does not naturally lean into, okay? Uh, I am naturally, by personality, flaky. I don't think you're all going, embrace it, Lance. You know, it's, <laughs> no, I have to work on that side of me in order to bring that back up into what is mature, all right? So you don't naturally lean into the emotional stuff. But there are also some of us that uh, don't feel emotions because we are emotionally stunted. And sometimes that happens from trauma. Sometimes that happens from deep pain. Sometimes that happens from a lack of nurturing. You were never around it with your parents. You were never shown that. And, and, and for some of you, even if you wanted to feel it, you just simply can't. That has never been awakened in you. It has not been worked on in you. And so it's like a muscle that has never been used. Now, there's also some of us that lack emotion for other basic reasons, like we're sub simply selfish. We're, we just think about ourselves and we're not moved by other people. Do you understand how each one of those groups need to be handled very differently? The Bible says that God feels intensely and we're supposed to be like him. We need to feel intensely. So let me calibrate it. It would not make sense if you had no feeling for your spouse or your kids, but then at church suddenly you were supposed to have all these feelings. What I would ask is that you're at least consistent across the board. If you at home or about sports or about other things have all these emotions rise up in you and yet you come to church and it's dry, we have a problem. Now we need to get new information in here to trigger a secondary emotion down here. Whenever I have people come in in the past and they would talk about their marriage, they would say things like, I don't love them anymore. And what they mean is I do not feel love for them anymore. Every time that is told to me, I realize we have a challenge, but I always am hopeful because I know how to solve that one. Why? Because emotions are secondary. There's something you can do to trigger a chain reaction that ultimately results in feeling. Now, whether or not somebody's willing to go down that pathway is another challenge, but what I'm telling you is it's solvable. And here's where it really becomes a big deal in church. You come into church, and for whatever reason, you're not sure why everybody looks like they're more into it than you. Oh, man, that person up front is dancing before the Lord. I do not feel like dancing. There's others of you, why are tears streaming down their face during worship? I don't have any of that. Why, why does every time this pastor keeps talking about this and he's like, Jesus is my best friend and we're buddies and we drive down the, down the road and he's like, hey, Jesus, blah, blah, blah. I don't have any of that stuff, right? And then you feel like something's wrong with you. I just want you to analyze what's going on in your heart and in your life because maybe some things can be fixed. Maybe some things don't need to be fixed, but at least we need to look at it because the Bible says God built you with emotions and that love is supposed to spur those emotions. Make sense? Let's keep moving forward. He said this. He said, I say that Jesus is all that you need and, and he brings all the truth and the knowledge and everything else. So don't listen to those other 
bad religion guys telling you you need secret truth just to get to God. Forget it. In Jesus are all the hidden wisdom and knowledge that you need. Jesus is not for the intellectual brilliant. Jesus is for the everyman. He said, I tell you this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. And that word in Greek talks about how a lawyer can sway an entire jury, whether it's right or wrong. He said, man, when people come in and say, well, not only do you need Jesus, but you also need to go through and get baptized, and you also need to go through and do communion, you also need to go through and do this, or else you're not going to heaven. He said, when people come in with all these different things, they have great arguments, and you're going to start doubting yourself, going, man, now I don't even know what to think. He said, guys, I need you to lock in. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. You need Jesus and nothing more. He said, for though I am absent in body, I am present with you in spirit. Man, my influence, my buddies are there with you. My heart's with you. And I'll tell you what I'm doing right now while I'm in prison. I am rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Here's what he just said. He said, guys, you're under attack from bad teachers. But I'll tell you what, I'm happy. I'm happy because every time I talk to my buddies that are in your church, well, here's where I view you. You're like soldiers. The first word he uses is you are all in line in your proper place, ready to respond to the commander's orders. You're ready to obey. And so like a beautiful systematic movement, you as a church are locked and loaded, ready to go. I love that, he said. And the other reason why you haven't crashed is because when you're in your formation, you're impenetrable to the enemy. The enemy can't get in and wreck your church. So as much as I'm concerned about individuals, I'm looking as a whole, and your church in Colossae is strong. I need you to dig in and hang in there, because that makes me less anxious. I know you're going to be all right, because of the way you're looking at each other and the way you're looking at the Lord. All right, so let's make this personal. Let me ask you this, and I want you to think about it in terms of if you were to grade Bridgeway us as a church, and yourself. Because as I said, we're all ministers, so you're just as much a part of Bridgeway as I am. I don't have a higher quality of Bridgeway than you do. So how are we doing in these areas? What if Paul wrote a letter to us? I got five areas. I want you to do a grade on yourself and a grade on our church. Number one, are we working hard so other people would be built up in the body of Christ? Is it on your agenda that you are constantly thinking, how do I make my brothers and sisters stronger? You go, well, that's not really my thing. No, it is your thing. Unless you're a hermit hiding in a cave somewhere with no access to the internet, it is your job. Your job is to actively look around you and go, who can I build up? Well, I'm just struggling myself. Well, that's a problem. I need you to get mature enough to where you're not drowning in the water. You actually have your feet on dry ground and can pull people out of the water. You understand what I'm saying? How are we doing there? Number two, are we knit together in love? Is there unity and brotherhood here? Or are we all too busy to know each other? Are you connecting with other people deeply, knit together in love? Number three. Are we a unified church of focus, ready to follow the leaders? Or 
Are you at all times simply going to a church that reaffirms what you believe and you just want to come in and you're waiting for a reason to break up? One bad weekend, one bad message, one conflict with a staff worker, one challenge with your child, and you're ready to bail. Why? Because you're a casual observer. You're not all in. So I'm asking you, what are we as a church? How strong are we? If he was to look into our church and say, man, you're going to be all right because you are orderly and ready to go. Number four, are we resistant to the devil to try to tear us apart? Are we resistant to the devil to try to tear us apart? Or is rumor and gossip and everything else going to completely break us apart? We had a huge smash into our church a number of years ago. We did not schism. We lost a lot of friends. But we did not crush as a church. Why? Because some things are right here. Number five. Do we love each other from the heart? Or do we tolerate each other? Or do we put on a Christian glaze over something? Do we love each other? Do you care if I'm struggling? Do you care if I'm happy? Do you care if I'm healthy? And not just your pastor. I'm talking about just us as body, right? Do we care about each other from the heart? You see, some of us, we come to church with commitment and loyalty, And I think that is awesome. We need you. Some of us come with passion and ferocity. That's awesome. Some of us come with our brains locked and loaded and sharp and we're ready to learn. That's awesome. But what I need everyone to bring to church is your heart. I need everyone to bring your heart. Because what the Bible says is it does not say they will know you by your right answers. The Bible does not say that the world will know you because of your erratic ferocity. It's not going to say the, the, the world will know you by your experiences. But what does it say? The world will know you by your love. If we fail everywhere else, but we get love right, we can build on that. But if love is absent, what's the point? Amen? Can I have the prayer team come on up here as we close out? Here's what I need uh, uh, the prayer team um, to be anointed for and prayed for. And, And here's the group that I would like to come forward. If there are any of you that when I began to talk about saying that emotions were not flowing, and you said, Lance, I don't really know why. I don't know if it's my personality. I don't know if it's how I was raised. I don't know if it's... It's something that's traumatic in my life. I don't know what's going on, but I know I need freedom. I want to feel my Lord. If that is you, I want you to come up here and get some prayer. Not that they have the right answers for you. They're not your counselors, but they're going to pray breakthrough in your life. All right? And if you have any other prayer requests, that's why they're here. They came just for you. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, you know how to unify us you know how to create mind will and emotions to sync together you told us lord that we should love you with all our heart mind soul and strength that does not allow any of us to lie dormant it does not mean that just because we have a hard time feeling that we don't have to feel 
So I just pray right now, if, if you would allow me, Father, that with the authority you've given, I just pray a blessing over this place. And I say, God, give us breakthrough. Allow us to have the breakthrough that we might be able to feel you and engage with you and that that would be awakened in our soul. That, Lord, from the deepest down place, down wherever our emotions have been designed, I pray, Lord, that it would begin to bubble up with a fresh spring of water. That, that we might be able to say we love you and mean it. That we might be able to say we love you and we actually miss you when we're not with you. That we would say we love you and we could write a letter to you. That, that when we worship and we praise and we talk about you and we pray, that God, we begin to feel those things. Because Lord, a dry and weary land with no emotion and passion doesn't feel like it's worth living. So God, I pray that in the deserts of our souls, you would create channels of water, that you would shower down blessing, and that you would bubble up from the bottom truth and glory and feeling. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.